Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. What's cool about what we're doing is that we, we sort of made our whole product and our whole experience as social as possible. You know, when you, when you create videos, when you share videos on any channel, whether it's Dub or YouTube or LinkedIn, it doesn't matter. You're, you're promoting your content, but you're also inherently promoting the service behind that content. Now, of course, LinkedIn and YouTube, they're the great examples. Um, also Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but you know, Dub is a, is a small, uh, little fish in that, in that ocean. So people get to kind of see what the platform is behind the content. So yeah, great. Awesome. Yeah, man. So, um, well, listen, I'm, I'm so psyched to chat with you, man. I've, I've heard so many good things. You and I have this unique thing because we've known of each other for two decades now through a common friend who I know is dear to both of us, Nishit Bhatt, who's one of the most brilliant guys that I know. I, funny enough, side story, I've been trying to get him to get his personality out there like crazy on a podcast, you know, on video. He's such a thought leader. Like, dare I use that term thought leader? He's so humble, you know. It's not to, with him, right? It just, uh, <laughs> it stays with him. Get, we get overused right now. And, and he's been that thought leader for a long time. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, Yes, yes. Get him on a screen and get him to start talking to people for sure. He's he's the thought leader behind the thought leader. I've learned so much from that guy, whether it's, you know, music or about wisdom and Eastern philosophies and, you know, just collaboration and just having fun, man. So anyways, it's it's super good to connect. I'm also really passionate about what you're doing. Um, now, here's here's what I know. I, I could be completely wrong about this. So please correct me. But from what I understand, uh, word of mouth is that Law firms are broken to a certain extent, and they're over. The attorneys are overworked. They're overstressed. There's a certain lack of balance, and I think that you bring some sort of a structure or a framework or some sort of a system to increase productivity, but also long-term happiness. Now, tell me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, you know, I practiced for about 15 years. I was a partner at a law firm at a you know, patent litigation practice in D.C., and then for five years I was in-house at Apple. And in my last five years, uh, of course, I started to take on, I've been practicing yoga for about 10 years and started to practice meditation that much more regularly. And I think through these practices, I started to notice this interesting pattern that obviously we've accepted in some of these professions and, and lawyers and you know, some of these challenging professions that work causes stress. And that's something that we just sort of take and are okay with as a society. And there's a certain pay and a stature and whatever it comes with that. And so we're like, okay, that of course it's going to be stressful. And I think what I started to notice is that this cycle continues where then stress starts to impact the quality of, of how we are and who we are, mm. our relationships, and ultimately the work product. And so work causes stress and then stress reduces the quality of the work. And then we were just sort of accepting this as this is okay and this is par for the course and you just sort of have to deal with it. And I thought, I felt like breaking this cycle. And so a few years back, I left the practice and I sort of retooled and retrained. I trained as a mindfulness instructor. I trained as a yoga teacher. 
and then ultimately not necessarily wanting everybody in their law firms on on, on yoga mats, although that would <laughs> necessarily be a bad idea. Did you um, go through? Did you go through the uh, RYT two hundred process? Um, I went through Baptiste training, and so okay. I did a part of the yoga teacher training for Baptiste, which is a a vinyasa flow nice. uh, yoga so, teaching. Yeah, so I went through. I did a hundred hours, and so nice. through that process, um, ultimately wanting to, I started teaching. Sorry, I'm trained as an executive coach. Mm -hmm. And I now go into law firms and legal departments trying to talk about how we can break that cycle. And I coach attorneys one on one. I try to identify what's challenging in their practice and try to move it out of the way so that they have something more fulfilling. And then I do that with the groups also. And we talk about a range of topics that allow us to start to appreciate that we don't have to relate to stress in the way that we believe we do. We don't well, have to normalize it. Isn't stress just the interpretation of conflict? It's an interpretation of conflict, yes, but I think it's I think it's so much more than that. I don't know that every time that you get stressed, you're necessarily in conflict. Mm. I think that there's a perception that you're in conflict. I think there's this belief and I think what I talk about in part is that it's healthy to start challenging this belief of the way that things have to be. Um, I think it's also more complex and complicated in the legal work environment because you're raised in a place where you're just constantly being subject to an adversarial nature. And well, so I mean, that's 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 definitely the stereotype. I mean, I'm reminded of, um, you know, how attorneys and lawyers and whatnot are, are portrayed in, in media. You know, I mean, uh, Al Pacino. You know, um, in the, in the devil's advocate, I mean, this idea that attorneys have to be sharks, basically, and uh, so I, I get it. That makes sense to me. Well, that media portrayal actually makes some lawyers believe that that has to be the case. Yes, and it always have to be the case. Right. But then, second, art art dictates reality. <laughs> you know that far more so than you know even the rest of us, and it's just true. You can't see a TV show with lawyers in the evening without alcohol in the room. <laughs> well, I mean, they all have scotch in the back and cigars and, and closed mahogany doors. It sort of perpetuates what lawyers think. They, I mean, on Friday at the end of the day, when I was at my law firm, of course, what was I doing? I was opening up a bottle of scotch, putting out five glasses, sending an email out to my colleagues and saying, come on into my office. Yeah. And I was sort of portraying, sort of living what I thought and what I felt like was the thing that we do as lawyers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so how are you getting the word out? How are you evangelizing? And what, I mean, I, I've seen your content on LinkedIn and I'm definitely a fan. I've seen some great photos and some thought leadership pieces, some, um, you know, some talks that you've done. Um, I mean, one of the things that I always like to do is to is to share whatever knowledge that I know. I mean, I, I my 10,000 hours is in video and marketing and automation and, you know, original content and social media and all that stuff, that kind of full stack. Um, so one of the things that I love to do when I really connect with people and their causes, I love to say, hey, listen, this is what I've picked up along the way. And have you tried this? You know, or I invite you to check that out. So I, I'd love to know some of the things that you're doing and then maybe how I could help. Yeah, I mean, my conversation and, and my work has really been rooted in my coaching practices where it all started and just working with lawyers identifying what's been challenging for them really working on a range of issues 
And I think through that work, um, when that's effective, and you know, that you know, a person, a client will introduce me to their law firm and say, "Hey, we'd love to bring you in." Um, my ten thousand hours was in the legal practice, also, and so. I have, and you know, having been a partner and having been in a place like Apple, obviously there's just a deep network and connection. And so a lot of the ways in which I've been able to connect with um, the folks that I want to connect with are just through the network that I've had for many years. So all of it has been, that's been what's fruitful is just reaching out to friends, you know, old ways of communicating, picking up the phone, letting folks know about what I'm doing, sending messages and then coming back. And then over time, just... You know, I've never been the type of person that felt comfortable promoting myself on social media. And I think you probably hear that a lot. And yeah, I'm just yeah. in that boat. I think we we're part of a generation of people where this is something that we've been picking up. And I realize and appreciate the importance and need of making sure that the work that I'm doing and the way that I'm connecting with clients, that that information gets out into the world. And so, you know, I started to share photos and a few lessons on LinkedIn, um, not very regularly. And then in the last few months, just slightly more so. And I just feel like I have a lot to learn on the various ways that I can actually support people through this medium. And so it's one thing to be able to say, hey, here's what I've done and take a look at this. And I appreciate that. And I just feel like there's so much more value in these various mediums and, and channels to communicate with uh, folks out there. And so this is why I reached out to you. I'm just very curious about how we can use these platforms to actually support folks in different ways. You know, I connect with my clients over the phone. I go into law firms, legal departments and host workshops and dialogue and facilitate conversation. I feel like there's actually more that can be done through video. And I'm sort of entering my curiosity of this whole space. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of, um, there's a couple of things that come to mind. So the first is, you know, first of all, a huge shout out to just millennials in, in general and just, you know, technology forward people, you know, sometimes young people, not necessarily all the time that have made video, you know, putting our personalities out there, true ubiquity, you know, um, it's because of those people that we all feel comfortable now being on LinkedIn, throwing that phone on, being comfortable walking down the street, doing a walk and talk, doing something in a, in a studio, wherever, right? It's because of that confidence, really, and that idea that it's the death of the ego, you know? A lot of people think that, well, if you put your your, your stuff out there and your your face is constantly on the internet be, because of a choice that you've made, that you, you have an ego. And and I, and I actually think it's the ob opposite. You know, I think that if, assuming that you're coming from a place of value education and you're on your purpose and you're doing good, then, you know, I think that you're providing value and that if people want to check out your material, they're going to check it out. If they're not interested, they're going to, they're going to ignore that. And when they ignore it six times on any social channel, that the algorithms are going to learn that this person is not interested in that person's content. You know, so if, if anyone that's listening out there or watching, if you don't like content that you're seeing from anyone, ignore it. <laughs> don't watch it, spend six seconds on it, and then move on to the next thing, and, and you won't be served. Whereas, of course, it's the counter and the opposite to that. If, the, you, you, if you do like it, then it will, the algos will continue to show that, that content to you. So that's just a little tidbit there. You know, this, the second thing that is really interesting from what you said is that, you know, this morning in, I was taking a, a JKD class, Jeet Kune Do, this is like Bruce Lee's um, martial arts. And the instructor was explaining to us this idea of, you know, the traditional punch is a, it's a, it's a one, two, it's a wind up and then it's a, it's a strike. 
And in that windup, you know, that's where all the problems happen. That's where you make yourself vulnerable and, and open because as you're winding up to punch someone, that someone can attack you during that moment. They can hit you in the chin or push you down or do whatever they need to do, counter strike, et cetera. But what Bruce Lee was talking about was that you're always in your on guard stance. This is a fencing thing and you're ready for a strike. And that sounds a little bit violent and, and more sort of martial arts focused. But the takeaway here, the metaphor is that in life, if we're more secure, if we're more confident, if we have a better framework, we're able to react to things, you know, and we're not living within fear or, um, you know, living within this idea of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stressed and I'm going to go back to my reptile brain. It's, you know, I'm fully active and I'm going to react because I've done this before. So that's just like a, like a quick little thing for you. Um, the, the method that we love, it, we call it the, the waterfall method. And this is a term that I keep throwing out there. And I'm, I'm so psyched about this method that we basically discovered. And the water, waterfall method basically is, is this, that we as individuals with the experience that we have, there's a lot of knowledge. And it's much easier for us to speak in long form. You can speak for 10, 20, 60 minutes without any problem. To speak for 30 seconds, we all struggle with that. There's multiple takes like you should see some of the videos that I've done where I'm trying to say a 30 second message and I've repeated myself 12 times. I'm like, OK, this is not working, you know. So the waterfall method is basically starting with long form content. That's what it means. It means starting with a video just like this. It's a podcast recording, starting with, you know, your webcam, starting with your phone and getting a 10 minute video, getting a 20, even 60 minute video. Right. And then once you have that asset, as you explore a number of topics and you go in different sort of directions, a lot of stream of consciousness, then that can be can be cut. OK, you have a month of content mm. from a six from a 60 minute video. And the beauty of this is that you don't need to do the work. You know, Tim Ferriss, he talks about the four hour work week. The essence of that is outsourcing, you know, making money in dollars, spending it in quote unquote pesos. Um, what that really means is it's. The elegant way of saying that, I think, is just you you find people that can work with you, that can take the content that you create, cut it up, chop it up, and then take it down the waterfall. So you start with long-form mediums, channels, you know, YouTube. YouTube loves 10-minute videos. It, it's a it's a, it's a episodic platform. A lot of people don't think of YouTube that, but it's made for episodics, right? 10-minute plus, 15, 30 minutes. Then, you know, you take that into a blog post, you know, from a 20 minute video, you can convert that into a blog post. You can send that to a writer and you said you can say, hey, listen, I recorded this audio piece while I was on my flight or in a drive or in front of my webcam at my standing desk in my in my office. And I please come up with a 4000 word blog post of this, you know, find the story, find the title, you know, make it SEO focused. You know, I'll take a quick, quick little second to talk about SEO. I mean. Every company, in my opinion, should have a list of 100 to 300 SEO terms. You know, what are ours? Ours are video marketing, you know, sending video via email, sending video via LinkedIn, sending video via Gmail. Those are our key terms. We're constantly creating content around that. So, you know, when you have your, your content calendar, your SEO list of the topics that you want to do, you can start to make it part of your daily cadence. And then come up with that long form content that you can then, of course, outsource, take to YouTube, take to LinkedIn, take to your blog, take to Twitter, take to Facebook, even take to Instagram and then rinse and repeat. So long form goes to medium form, two, three, four, five minute videos, and then it gets chopped up even to shorter videos, six seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds. 
And then that those have wings. Those will continue to go on and on and on. A lot of people think that by repeating content or by repurposing content that you're you're sort of exhausting it. You're overmining it. I disagree. I think that if there's a common canon of work, a, a thesis that an individual or a company is really trying to, to push out there, that there needs to be a, some essence of um, different format, different length, and repetition to a certain extent. So the waterfall method is it's real. We use it every single day. You know, we manage ourselves through a project management tool. We use Asana. Asana is a, a free tool. They have a paid program as well. And we have, you know, it's a Kanban board. This is the Japanese form of project management, basically, where it's cards. You know, we, we go into ideas and then we go into, you know, production and then, um, you know, distribution and then repurposing. And then it cycles back. So it's a rinse and repeat situation. So, you know, that was a lot of information. <laughs> but, but no, uh, it's know. really insightful. It's really insightful because the process of starting to share this work over video is, um, of course, it's intimidating. You're, this, I'm very unsure and very curious about how to sort of step into this space. And I think that's really helpful. And it's true. I mean, look, I can talk about the work that I do at length. I give 90-minute talks. I give hour-long you know, workshops, 90-minute workshops, day-long workshops, weekend-long workshops. So in terms of the content and just getting up and sharing, um, offering value in long form, I appreciate that. I think that's something that I'm very, actually very comfortable with. Um, and so it's just taking the thinking out of the process, which is, hey, talk for 10, 15 minutes, share uh, an idea or um, a lesson or some strategy or tactics on how to manage your practice, whatever it might be. And then there might be support on how to get that video to look like what you want it to look like and provide um, information on different channels. What I thought was most valuable about what you're sharing is that this insight that YouTube is episodic. And I've never really thought about um, how different channels have different maybe lengths associated with it. Maybe we're going all the way from you know TikTok all the way to YouTube. But I'm curious on what you've found. Um, you know, what is your thought process on what that range is and, and what channels appreciate what type of video and um, you know, how is it that your waterfall works when it comes to other social media platforms? Well, I think so. You, YouTube, the sweet spot, the sweet spot of YouTube is in actually longer form content. If you notice the big YouTubers, quote unquote, they, they have longer videos. They have six, eight, 10 minute videos. And the reason why that's the case is because, well, Google can make more advertising revenue if they can show two advertisements or three advertisements instead of one. I, I joke a little bit, but but at the same time, you know, um, short, short videos, ephemeral videos, videos that come and go, that's what Facebook's for. That's what Twitter is for. That's what Instagram is for. You know, people are, are moving towards YouTube for that longer form content. Now, that said, I believe that it's always beneficial if you can drive into this, if you can justify the ROI, is to really get into a, in a, a mindset of educating and entertaining, you know, infotainment. Because a lot of people in business, there's this idea that, oh, well, I'm a business person. Everything I do has to be corporate and business focused. And I'm yeah. not here to I'm not here to entertain. Yep. I've yeah. seen the distinction that you're hitting on. Anyway, I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to hear more. And if you peel that onion back, if you if you look at the at the the bigger influencers, quote unquote, dare I use that term influencers? I'm not a fan of that term. But if you look at the personalities, 
God, they're entertaining. They are so entertaining to watch sometimes. I mean, that sometimes the egos, sometimes the jets, sometimes the self-deprecation, the comedy, you know, those random real-life moments. That is all entertainment. It's a reality show. Yeah, you know? and we're used to that. I think we want to see a little bit of that. And I think this is, you know, people, like you said, I love the you know, respect to millennials. And I appreciate I'm having sort of a new respect for, for like I said, for TikTok, for really short form video that's just yeah. captivating, that is, that puts you through a series of emotions in a short amount of time. Um, I haven't really seen that until now. And I think people yeah. are really sort of testing how a really short video and a really short message or a short clip can really sort of put you through a range and invite you to both learn and be entertained. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the beauty of, the word of, of 2019 was authenticity and the beauty of, you know, re recording videos, putting yourself out there is that it's the in-between moments that really convey who we are as individuals. You know, we can, we can construct our words, communicate those words and deliver all the, the chutzpah and the personality that we have within ourselves. But when we screw up and we make a mistake and the mic falls apart, something drops on our desk, we flub a line 13 times and we laugh at ourselves or we shed a tear. That's the human moment. You know, when our cat or dog comes and breaks into the frame and disrupts what we're doing, that is the human moment. And that actually is what people connect to. I mean, if you go back to like public speaking, you know, keynote speeches, if you, if you see, I mean, you've seen this a hundred times before, but if you see someone on a stage that speaks perfectly and that doesn't make a mistake and that doesn't say, Hey, listen, I just, I just got off the plane 30 minutes ago. I didn't sleep last night. You know, life sucks right now, but I'm going to get through this. That human moment, you know, that honest moment. If you don't see that, it's hard to connect with that person. You, you, you really can't. I mean, this sounds like a contrived, um, you know. And it's actually of, not even impressive anymore, weirdly yeah. enough. No. I, have, I see this all the time in the legal practice. You'll get a senior lawyer and we'll talk about, well, tell us about your story. And they'll tell us about how they achieved this and how they graduated from that. And they got elected to this and they got selected to that. And there's no kink in the armor anywhere. It's a there's resume. No ability. Yeah. And I think that's that's deeply what's missing in this practice. And at least in the space that I'm in, is it's very refreshing. In my presentations, I actually have a couple of slides. I always um, purposefully have mess ups. Like I have words that are misspelled and I have slides that don't. <laughs> Perfect. And you can just feel the lawyers watching it. And they're sort of like, this guy's putting up, he's putting up mistakes. And I'll tell them, I, I, I did that purposely. And they'll just laugh. I'm like, because I knew that would get folks turned up a little bit. And it's just yeah, seeing people mess things up and allowing that to happen and allowing us to get a little bit of comfort with that. Yeah. I mean, it's just actually just play. Like we've lost the idea of just play and that experimenting and having a little bit of fun can be a part of all of this. And, so, and allowing actually people to see it. It is what it is. Whatever happens, happens. Exactly. So what I always tell people is that if you're going to record content and you put it out there, wait 10 seconds <laughs> before you actually hit the stop button because something might, something really good might actually happen. <laughs> there might be an outtake. There might be something that you say that's self-deprecating or interesting or even insightful. And maybe that's the video, not the 10 minute, you know, sleeping pill that you just recorded, <laughs> you know? So yeah. that, I mean, that's, that's that's another thing is to is to you know put your in between moments, uh, you know in there, um, you know uh, Beethoven in his music it, it was those in between moments that really drove the energy. It's the pauses and the drama and the the tension sometimes, 
And I think the same thing goes for, you know, video storytelling. You know, it's it's those it's those human moments, you know. No, that's really insightful. It makes a lot of sense because, of course, the mind goes to putting things out that are polished and putting things out that are just right, et cetera. And I think there's just an invitation. I think we've seen a lot of that. We've seen a lot of that in our practice. Every time there's a video on teaching you how to do X, Y, and Z, it's just a really polished routine. I think people want, they want to be entertained too. They actually want to have fun while they're doing this. They want to get better and enjoy the process a little bit. So I feel like that's, that's, that's really helpful. Well, I, th I think that that's a key thing because, you know, fatigue is real <clears throat> when it comes to anything. If you're doing something that's completely out of your comfort zone and you're doing it with the intention to grow a business, grow a brand, um, that if you don't enjoy it, you, you will stop doing it after two weeks or two months. You, it'll, it'll just happen. It's inevitable. So it has to. So what I always recommend and this, I'm a student of this, so I'm learning this like crazy. Um, I failed multiple times on this and I'm still working this out, but it's this idea of living your life, going through your motions, but then also integrating documentation into that. So, you know, just as an example, I, I have a book, right? It's, it's written. Okay. It's sitting right now in a, it's sitting on Amazon. I have not promoted it. I, I don't, it's not even published. Right. And I've been meaning to prioritize this to, to just get it over the finish line. Right. And I, I've sort of put it into the calendar now where what I'm going to do is I'm going to document the process of getting my book out there and finalized and ready for selling basically. Um, and by putting myself on the spot and having that kind of self accountability, but then also the content that I'll potentially mine from that whole process, um, it's, it's a win-win. Even if the book completely fails and no one actually sees it or reads it, at least I got my process of, of document of how, how I'm doing it, but also maybe even some fun along, along the way. So I think it's really important to, to document not to go through this whole idea of, of like overproducing your life because you fatigue from that, but then also to have fun doing so. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I, I love that. And I think that in that process for you, you're just going to connect with more people. I think people are going to connect with you and get to see you and um, learn from you in that process too. So that's great. And congrats on putting something like that together. That's, that's amazing. Work in progress, work in progress. Yeah. I mean, another thing that, that I, that I always recommend is, <clears throat> any communication that we have with someone, it's, it's a content op, you know, a hundred other people can see that one other person can see that if you change the life of one person with your, with your content, you've succeeded. Okay. Forget about the million views that it's irrelevant, especially in, 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 in business and, you know, in small business that that's just not even worth focusing on. You know, if, if you can record a video instead of have a call, if you can record a video instead of having, um, you know, a, a conference or a webinar or even an in-person meeting, that asset then becomes something that a they can go back and review, but it's also something that other people can do. So this is something that we always do when people ask us, "How do you do this with Dub?" We record a support video and we put it on all of our channels. We put it on our blog. We put it on our YouTube Dub support channel which is separate from our regular channel. And then we put it into our knowledge base and then we email them with that asset. So they're like, wow, that's amazing. You guys did this for me. And yes, we did do that for them, but we also did that for a lot of other people. So the same thing I think applies to, um, you know, in the sales process, as you start to get questions, those questions from prospects and from existing folks in your network, that's your content calendar. You know, the, the idea here with video content is not to wait 
years and years to build up a library of content that can then lift your brand. The idea is to get revenue overnight, sales overnight, brand over time. So by having prospects give us questions and then have us record video content um, and then convert that into blogs and ephemeral kind of social posts, we're addressing their questions. We're giving them a, a gift. We're giving them value. But then we're also putting something in our library, in our evergreen world, blog, YouTube, even LinkedIn to a certain extent. And and now other other folks can can see that because as you know, it's the same questions that keep coming back to us. I think this is really this is amazing. It's really valuable. I use Loom internally a lot with the folks that um, I work with and um, that that work for me. And I share a lot of information through Loom. And I had never really thought about doing the same thing with clients and um, potential customers, et cetera. It's just a great, great idea. Is you get a basic question, you record it, you can share it out, and then it's always there. It's always something that people can lean on as a as an FAQ or whatever it might be. Yeah, exactly. And and as you start to build that knowledge base, it becomes it becomes your your army. It becomes your 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 knowledge base. It becomes your the gift that keeps giving, you know? It's the golden geese. So, we we have like I don't know how many we're probably almost up to 1000 videos now, believe it or not, across all of our channels. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 been crazy. I mean, keep in mind a lot of those are 6 seconds or 12 seconds. Um, but we, we, we crank these things out like, like crazy, you know, and, and we're still small and we're still growing, but we just learned that the more content that we put out on our channels and the idea of if one person sees this and if, if we get a sale out of this, or if we make someone's day, then it's done its, its job. You know, it's, it's daunting to be, be putting stuff out on social channels these days, because you look at your number of followers and you're like, I, we have six followers and it's my parents, my two aunts, my <laughs> husband and my kid. And you're like, well, we're, how are we going to get over this? How are we going to get to the next level? It just takes time. You know, it's easy to spend money and you can do that. It, once you start spending money, I mean, that's great if you have the budget, but the algos will start to say, Hey, listen, this is a spender, not an organic poster. So it's going to, it's going to want more money from you. Whereas if you're an organic poster, it's going to optimize based on that. So, um, just, just think of creating a video and then putting it on YouTube, coming up with a blog post, and then sending that to one person, one prospect. That's your goal. And yeah. if you can do that, you're going to see a lot of ROI on that. The reality is that this evergreen content, it's got wings. And it, as people start to view it and start to share it, it gets lift and a lot more people see it. So it becomes, like I said, a, the gift that keeps giving. And I feel like you've seen that cycle now on your end um, a few times over, maybe with the folks that you work with or even for yourself. Um, I think about that theory whenever I do workshops or I'm in an, uh, in front of a group is I just need to support one person here. Yeah. So if I think about one audience member, one person, if I'm able to bring one person value, be it 100 or 200 or 500 people in the audience, if there's just one person in that room that gets value out of this and comes, you know, that's it. And they have to come up to you afterwards. It's just that they go home and they feel like they have a different way um, with which to approach whatever it is that they're facing, whatever challenge they have in front of them. And uh, that's it. And so I think that's nice to sort of think about, you know, there's there's this sense that it's so permanent it has to be a certain way and it's sort of locked in i think you're relieving a lot of the this this conversation is relieving a lot of that that challenge uh for me it doesn't have to be that way it doesn't have to be exactly right you, you're supporting one person and you're fine 
So what would you say the, the, the top three topics are that your, your audience, your prospects would want to hear from you? Yeah, I think there's, there are a few and the, the main one, there are a few things I work with individual clients on and they, they typically boil down to, you know, a lot of what causes attorneys, uh, a decent amount of challenge in their practice is actually generating business. Mm. And so just business development in and of itself has its own, you know, I have a huge relationship with, uh, clients that are working with me one-on-one on just how do I get, um, out of my own way and, and start building relationships with clients. And so that's one aspect of it. A second is starting this this bug or this itch that comes mid-career for for folks, which is how um, what's next for me? I'm, I've succeeded, and yet something's not. This just might not feel like it's enough, and so something needs to evolve. And so, what are the ways in which people late stage after they've put in all their time and developed an expertise? How do they evolve from that point? either something that's evolutionary for them or even revolutionary. And so Mm. it's just, how do I go for big change now in my life when I sort of set my path and I'm already here as an established um, practitioner? Yeah. Um, And and the culture, I mean, the the work culture, you know, how do you, how do you change the work culture in that, you know, old school of of, of an industry? I mean, that's not easy, you know, And, and tech, you can get away with coming in, putting surfboards on the wall and kombucha on tap, but at law firms, it's different. Well, yeah, and that's the third piece that I was going to say is that there's just a lot of people that feel compacted by the culture in of itself. And I think that shift can happen one-on-one for people. But when you go into uh, larger audiences, you're really trying to get them to shift and start seeing that there's a lot of things that we're doing uh, with respect to our mindset, how we're approaching situations that are creating a lot of challenge um, in the experiences that we're having. And Mm -hmm. so it's shifting that mindset and allowing people to create a little, you know, there's a vicarious anxiety that lawyers take on when it comes to their clients. Their clients are going through something difficult. You are adjacent to that difficulty now for the next many years, and therefore you experience that stress of someone else. How do you create a little bit of a distance from that? How do you start to um, distance, create a distance between incidents that may be difficult and challenging, and then the stress that you're actually experiencing for yourself? Uh, oftentimes we think of those two things as necessarily having to be the same place, but could we sort of bring that apart a little bit and watch and notice how some of these experiences, um, we don't have to be as challenged as we're going through them. And so there's a lot of dialogue that I have um, with individuals and with groups just about how we are and how we can sort of reduce the the conflict um, outside of the the legal battles that we're fighting. So it's one thing to be adversarial with opposing counsel, fine. But do we have to be that way with our colleagues? Do we have to treat the associates that are working for us or assistants in the same way? Um, I don't think so. And so it's time to sort of start relieving the culture of some of this, uh, this nature and, and challenge. That was a perfect three-minute video. <laughs> <laughs> Done. That, you know who's gonna cut it up and slice it up and put it through the waterfall. Fantastic. That was that was awesome. You know, I I start to see things in video. That's one of my one of the realities about being video around video all the time. But you know, do you have that video with that really passionate, really honest story on your homepage on your website? You know, do you have that video front and center on your your LinkedIn profile on your YouTube channel? I don't care how many subscribers you have. Do you have that story? 
Because if you don't, it's a, it's a misstop because people need to learn about you. They need to learn about your firm and that there's a better way, you know, and that, uh, you know, it's really, I think, on you to to start that production process and to say, you know what, I'm going to have five key, key videos that are part of my business. Number one, the video on my homepage, which is my master evergreen story video. It's me with doing, you know, narration, a voiceover. It's some B-roll stuff. It's some lifestyle stuff. It's social proof, you know, evidence, me speaking. It's my clients. It's before and after shots you know, that punchy, pithy video that everyone has to see 30, 60 seconds. You know, next I would say is, you know, the video that you send to individual prospects. This could be the same video that you use over and over and over again, or it could be a fresh one that you create all the time. This is, by the way, what Dub is really good at, is that you can record a video with a webcam with your phone in seconds and then email that or even share that on on, on LinkedIn um, or any CRM for that matter. So that's the second one. This, the third one is, like your your calendar booking video. You've seen mine by now. You know, this is a video that drives people to actually book a time in your calendar. It's great for sales. It's really good for prospects because they get to see you. It's not text, it's not a message, it's not an email, it's not even a phone conversation. It's you in your workplace, you know, being comfortable, being honest, being authentic, saying, hey, listen, I'd love to chat, provide some value, consultation, so on and so forth. Click the link below. So that's the third one I think is really valuable. The next one is that middle of funnel, someone's engaged with you, they're interested, you know, maybe you sent them a pro proposal, maybe you haven't, but it's that here's the proof, you know, here's why you should do this. And here's the results that you're going to get as a result of this, because here's what other firms have done. You know, testimonials are, are key for this. Um, and then I'd say that the next video after that is your, your bottom of funnel, your sales video. That's to get people over the finish line integration, how it works, you know, what the process looks like, how long does it take, you know, what your staff does, what the engagements look like. You know, if you have that, that library of those videos as your core go-to videos and you start to put them out there, you're going to see results. You're going to see a lot of ROI. You know, one of the things that I always do is during, I'm just going to show you what my phone looks like. I don't know if you can see this, but like on my phone right now, I have these notifications, right? Yeah. And this, yeah. this is actually the Dub app. It says new activity on your video, 100% video view of save time with Dub. So someone uh, three minutes ago just watched the video on the Dub homepage and I, and I just got a notification that they did that. And then after that, they signed up to Dub. So I just saw that whole sequence. Um, it, it happens. I mean, hundreds of times a day, and it's really exciting for us. But that, in my opinion, is how one can leverage video, storytelling, and content to, to, to help grow their business, quote-unquote, while they sleep or while they're doing yoga or while they're creating more videos or on vacation. You're, or commuting, you're communicating with people without having to necessarily be on the phone in that moment. And you're actually adding color and life to like a document that you sent across, whatever it might be, just sort of saying, hey, here's, uh, you know, what, whatever it is, just your yes. own sort of breathing life into whatever it is that you're, you're writing on a screen. I think that makes a huge difference. I, this is an extremely polarizing thing to say, but I literally think that it's sadistic to not do this <laughs> because you are being so hard on yourself and you're saying, I need to have every conversation. I need to, you know, host these these Zoom conferences. I need to go meet with people. I need to get in my car. I need to get on airplanes and go to that coffee shop. I, you don't need to do that, you know. 
videos is, is the next best thing to real life. And sometimes it's a lot better because getting into a car is dangerous and it takes a long time. It takes a day to go get things done that could be done in 15 seconds or 15 minutes. So I always encourage people, you know, create your content, put it out there. It's, it's the gift that keeps giving both to you and to your prospects. Now, this is huge. I think you're, this conversation is helping to shift my mindset on the ways in which I'd be able to use video. You, you, my thoughts are really only limited to the video that I see, but I feel like there's so much more potential here. So it's just really nice to, this is great. You, you have a beautiful beard and you got to get that beard on video. <laughs> <laughs> Do you do you use product? Do you put like um, like an oil or like a wax or anything? Yeah, whatever food my son is eating and that gets. <laughs> it's really what's being. Uh, how made. how old is how old is your son? He's uh, twenty two months, almost twenty three months, and so it's uh, wow, almost, almost two years. Yeah. So, are how's sleep and what what are the cliched questions when someone has a young child? I have a fifteen month old, so. How are you sleeping? How's work-life balance? <laughs> you know, the nice thing is we work out of home. And so he's downstairs, we're up here. And so that's just really, really nice. And he's good, man. He's been, a, it's what, the two things I think that we think about as parents more than anything else is are they eating and they sleeping? Yeah. And he does those, he's been doing those things very well from the jump. And so mm. uh, daycare is always saying like this kid just doesn't stop eating. He's eating his food and everybody else's. That's, that's a good problem to have, I nice. feel like, as a parent. And then the sleep, you know, aside from regressions, it's like 7.30 at night till 7 in the morning. Um, so we're in, you know, it's just been, it's a great, I mean, it's just been a great experience. Loving it. And this morning you had your uh, jiu-jitsu class. We have capoeira class in the house on Thursday mornings. And so oh, the wow. three my wife, uh, son, and I sit there with our instructor, and it's a blast. And so he's doing. We're just doing good, good, fun things. Nice. Yeah. My my class was Jeet Kune Do. This is Bruce Lee's uh, martial arts, similar to, to to Taekwondo and to Jiu Jitsu, but it's a little bit different. Yeah. It's it's it. The idea is the the idea is it's it's all about the intersection. So it's like intersecting. It's like be formless. You know. That was Bruce Lee's mantra. But anyways, Capoeira is a it's a it's a beautiful martial arts and my god is it amazing to watch oh my god it's it's so skillful how long have you been doing that for not long and the the beauty of it is the integration between um music and then movement um and self-defense and fitness i feel like getting all of that in a morning it makes the day incredible so you're sitting here playing music with the family and then you're getting up and you're moving and and all of the movements are very yoga like also and so you're getting like real stretches in and you're there's sort of a, a lot of very basic movements that are really just good for the body things that we don't do all the time because we're just sitting um, most of our day and so getting those basic movements in are really good and then there's just a self-defense aspect of it it's very it's nonviolent and there's not a lot of contact but at the same time all of the movements that they have you doing i think just set you up well for you know just just feeling comfortable that you're able to protect i think all of these things are just nice tools for a family to have it's just been really nice yeah i mean this this idea of mind body spirit alignment you know a lot of people um, they don't unfortunately, and we've all been like this, but they don't prioritize it, you know, maybe they focus on one of those three, maybe they don't, but um, it's unfortunate because, you know, that alignment, I mean, 
that's living, I think, you know, if you can get yeah. to that stage, it's just really hard. <laughs> and I feel like for so many of us, the reason that we pay attention to that so much is because there was probably a period in our life where we didn't. And so you sort of learn the hard way and then you, you kind of align. And I think that seems to be the path for a lot of people. And it's nice to be to really be helping people kind of move down that space. And then also remembering I got to keep it up on my own. I mean, to have these movement classes kind of locked into the schedule, it just makes a big difference. Yeah. I mean, to, to do kind of full, full circle on the convo. I mean, one of, one of the reasons why I feel like now I can, I can have a more work-life balance than I think the early days is be, is because I've made the investment, you know, because I've invested in, to the website and to the marketing and the automation. Um, marketing automation is a whole nother conversation we can have, but you know, the video content, the library, this, all that stuff, because I feel like I've, I've put that stuff out there that now I have earned it or I, I can afford to do it and go out and, and take that martial arts class or, or go do my, you know, 20 minute meditation or just chill, take a nap, play the guitar for, for a heartbeat, you know? So I feel like when, when we can make, these positive choices. And, and by no means am I an expert at this. I'm like still learning this constantly, but you know, I feel like when we can, we can make these choices and, and really have that purposeful intention, you know, that, um, you know, productivity, that kind of optimal performance that, you know, we, we can get that work-life balance and not, I think most importantly, not feel guilty when we're doing so. Yeah, I think there's this notion that I was fed early on that work has to be hard. Mm, yeah. I don't know that it's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I know hard work works. And I wonder yeah. if being kind to yourself while working is is better. And so yeah. I think just a curiosity there is that do we have to put that tension in and can we do it another way? And is it as fruitful, if not more? And I think that's just, it's, it's a much more interesting investigation um, than the other one. It's, it's so true. I mean, what are, what are some of the um, stories that you have participated in? You know, the success stories. How have you affected people's lives? What did the like before and after look like? I got to tell you, I had this one client and this one always um, is an attorney at a pretty big firm. And, um, you know, was some of these firms, the partnership is so tight. And so, um, of course, you know, attorney of color, um, African-American attorney, and, and there's this, there's this sort of barrier on partnership year after year. I think he's talking for a little bit, um, and, you know, this guy, he could have worked in this, it wasn't going anywhere, but partnerships seemed to be uh, somewhat elusive. Again, there's just a really tight, tight funnel there. And he, it came out through our dialogue that there was just this urge and inner, inner interest in being entrepreneurial. And I think that when you get in these legal environments, there's sort of this this, this picture is image is built that you have to become a partner in this office and it's got to look a certain way like you've seen on TV, you know, in the firm, wherever else it might be, you know. Um, I, I feel really bad for the mahogany trees. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. It doesn't have to look that way. Law firms, it's so funny that you felt like you have to keep to that. But, you know, we were talking for a while and it just really kind of came out that he really wanted to go out on his own, that this chase wasn't as interesting to him as it was. It was being placed on him in a certain way. And I think once that conversation came around and we sort of dialogued in a little, little while, he really started to unfold this idea about starting his own practice. Um Six months later, he announces to the firm, and rather than them challenging it and you know any any shame involved, they were actually deeply supportive. In fact, they're throwing they're sending clients his way, and he's doing so well. Um, I had this, and he's so well at sharing how meaningful it's been to him. He called me, you know, seven months, eight months in the process, and he said, "Hey, man, you know, I don't I don't say this lightly." He's like, "But you gave me my freedom." Mm. Wow, that's huge. That's huge. And just to have someone say that to you in a very meaningful way and believe it. I mean, this guy is now living a dream. He's starting his own practice. It's going like gangbusters. People are sending him work left, right, and center. He's building a team that looks and feels like exactly what he wanted out of a law firm. Things that are not necessarily being created in these larger structures that are harder to shift. You know, he's able to sort of nimbly create this thing on his own. And he's he's fulfilled. He's going to work every day, um, pumped. People are coming at him with work. Uh, his family's happier. I just feel like hearing that from somebody um, is extremely touching, very meaningful. And again, one person impacted. I feel like I have done my job. Wow, that's that's awesome. I mean, that's the story to give someone their freedom, because you know, are we living or are we dying? You know, I always think about that. I've. I've started to really think about more, my mortality a little bit more lately. I guess this is a product of maturity uh, or age or what have you. But, uh, you know, a lot of people don't have that gift, unfortunately, you know, and they're stuck in a rut and they're in this cycle, you know, and they're just waiting for it to be over. They're always waiting for that event driven happiness. Like when I have that beer, when I get that Friday, when I go on vacation, then I'm going to be happy. God, that is the most unsustainable thing ever. <laughs> yeah, and I think we uh, we tell ourselves a lot of stories about what success is, and it's unfortunately it's other people's stories. Mm. It's other people's success. So I think we often just don't give ourselves real permission to investigate what it is that we want. So busy meeting the demands of everyone else around us, just taking that pause. And you know, the other interesting thing I see is that. You know, with our kids, with a 15-month-old and a two-year-old, the growth phases happen quite rapidly. In fact, the, the person, the two-year-old that's in front of me is not the 15-month-old that was there before and the year-old. You know, it's just like an, he's an entirely, although the soul and the nature is net is so much the same, it's almost like the same since the beginning, weirdly enough, so much of him has changed. And I think as adults... We also go through a growth process and transformation, but it happens maybe just a little bit farther apart than when we see it at this phase. And I just don't think people are allowing themselves to have that, this ability to transform again. You know, who you are at two years and five years and then 13 years old and then 22, you just literally transform into something else. And that might happen slightly farther apart at these stages in life. But I think when we fight that and we continue to pursue things and other people's dreams, I think we just tell ourselves false stories and false narratives. And I think it's taking a moment, pausing, listening to yourself, really unearthing again, what is it that I want today? 
and allowing yourself, giving your permission, self permission to ask that and answer it and start following that a little bit, literally following your dreams. And I feel like people don't do that. And I think that there's an invitation to. So I've seen a lot of people's lives shift in the last few years just by allowing themselves to answer these questions. You worked, you worked at Apple for five years. You worked as a partner in a law firm. These were, these are high, high stress, high stakes situations. What was, what was your moment? You know, what was that chapter of your life where you said, you know what, I got to stop here. I got to completely hit the brakes here and I have to pivot myself into a new direction. What was your, your origin story? The first moment was at the end of my time when I was at the law firm as a partner. And uh, was was the second moment when Steve Jobs cussed you out? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's right. Everyone has that moment, right? Um, when I I think when I joined Apple, it was it was it definitely was it was the Tim Cook era. And but when I was at Fish, um, I had this moment. I was uh, on this you know international case. Uh, huge, uh, huge clients, a lot at stake, traveling around the world. And at the close of discovery, so it's the end of the period when you're collecting evidence from both sides or information from both sides. And uh, it's, a, it's a hard deadline. There's usually a flurry of depositions that happen before it. And there's just a lot of activity. And I was working around the clock, you know, two, three days. And I'm in the Sofitel Hotel here in the Bay Area, right near SFO on the fifth floor and I'm closing my laptop and it's around midnight and I'm just, you know, finally putting everything down after a really long day of work and I'm sitting in the bed in the hotel room and the entire left side of my body freezes up. Uh. And I thought to myself, oh, this is it. Here it is. And I think I was like 30 three at the time. I can't remember how old I was, 34 or something like that. Well, your body was telling you, if you keep this up, you're going to get a stroke. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And so the body is talking and maybe in my mid thirties and I, 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 you know, FaceTime with uh, my cousin who's a cardiologist and she's just like, you know, uh, seems like everything will be all right, but I think you should just get to the ER just in case. And of course, you know, I, they help me, they get me to the hospital and I get to the hospital and, uh, turns out everything's okay. Everything's all right. It was just, you know, tightness, but it was very odd to have it on the, on one that's, side. That's really eerie. Really that's creepy really out. And, uh, you know, that was it. It was stress. And so I, the, I think the key though was that I really didn't feel comfortable sharing that with anybody, and so you know I got tested out a few weeks later. Again, cardiologist said everything was fine, and what what, what the thing was rather than talking to my law firm about it and saying, hey, you know I want to dial it back, to show that vulnerability in a legal practice, you know, as a litigator felt like not an option to me. And so rather than staying in my office and trying to dial it back and live differently, I essentially had to, I, I, had to, I felt like I had to leave. So I started making a call out to different companies and luckily Apple was a client at the time and they said, we'd love to have you if you're willing to move out to the Bay. And that's what I did. I moved and I ended up starting at Apple. And I think that was the beginning of a major shift for me 
But I mean, working at Apple, I mean, from what I hear, that's also an extremely demanding, very high stress situation. I mean, maybe it's different in the legal department. Maybe that's more kind of product or tech or marketing. But uh, what was that like, that transition? Yeah, I would say it's on the scale of being in an in-house legal department, it would be on the the high, you know, the most intense um, Got it. situation. So, and, and less so than, um, you know, at the law firm, it was sort of, four hours of sleep at times, you know, often, uh, very, un- very, not very predictable. At least when I go in house, I'm sleeping between midnight and 6am predictably. But I think there, the key for me was finding the time and making the investment in my meditation practice. And I think through that, um, stress naturally went, you know, when I was at my law firm, if I went to the doctor every year, they asked zero to 10, what's your stress? And I would say, oh, it's a 12. And I'd be very proud. <laughs> it's almost like it's a badge of honor. You know, give right. me the shots. I'm out of here. I'm going back to work. Right. right. I got to Apple. It naturally just went down to a seven with regular sleep. Regular sleep alone does that. The work is still just as intense, but regularity makes a big difference. Yes. But my last year at Apple, I went to the doctor. And Apple is amazing. They have these facilities on site. We can just see the doctor on site. So I go zero to 10. What's your stress? And I said two. And they're like, two, where are you? I'm like, legal. I'm like, legal? What are you doing at legal? And I said, you know, I, IP, IP transactions. I'm doing, you know, significant deals and working this Apple IP of all things. I mean, something that they deeply value. Talking about a legal department where you're doing IP, you know, that is a company that values this work. So definitely high intensity. And I was getting deposed. So I was a witness, a company witness. And so even more stress. And they were like, a two, what are you doing? You know, what's going on for you? And it was, it's my meditation practice. And so I started, and this is when I started to see that it doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to be as reactive as we think we have to be. We don't have to be um, as combative with colleagues as we think we have to be. I think there is a mindset shift that can happen that can really support us. And so, you know, the culture is what it is, an incredible culture and a challenging one. And I think that there's more that can be done in, in these workplaces that allow people to be themselves and live healthily. Just breathe. Oh, yeah. Don't forget oxygen. <laughs> it's important. So, I love that, man. How can people uh, find, find out about you? LinkedIn, website, socials? Yeah, website, chrystel.com, my last name, um, our last name, and uh, LinkedIn is easy, and I think that's how folks typically get in touch. And so everything is right there. Nice. Well, this was awesome, man. This was a lot of really interesting back and forth, a lot of learnings here. Um, Really appreciate the time. Yeah, likewise. I get a lot out of this, so I'm looking forward to doing this more and then progressing my sort of um, work in this space and, and having you as a guide is just amazing. So I really appreciate this. Well, let's let's meet in a week or three and, and let's see where you're at. And I'd love to provide some some value. All right. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, man. I really All right, appreciate man. it. Thanks so much.